Hello, Wildcats. All right, how about that, Cool Cats? Champions in the end. So it's Mason checking in with you guys once again from isolation. No, not exactly isolation, but me, Grace, and Kevin all decided to take a little a little road trip down south and all the chaos. So we've ducked off down here for a little while. We still got Kevin here with me in the Cool Cats corner representing. So we're going to have a great pod lined up for you guys today. All right, so we got a lot to dissect in this one for you guys. So kick back, relax, and enjoy. We have a lot of Cats content coming up for you. So here we go. So I previewed this series for you guys in the last pod, and before I crack into the series review, I just want to say a massive, massive thank you to the crew in the cat chat, the greatest chat in Perth, for such great feedback on the podcast, which was the last one you guys would have just listened to. I make the podcast for you guys and the people of Perth, and to have so many of you guys be so supportive and hit me up is just so great. Hopefully we do continue to grow and we bring in some interviews, get some video stuff going, who knows, just spitballing, so we can have some real fun with it. So just one big, huge thank you to you guys. And also a massive thank you on the year to all the cool cats who have been there since day one. It's been one hell of a fun journey making making this and talking basketball with you guys and seeing the sport grow in general. It's um it's great for the league, it's great for the sport, and it's great for the community to get behind your hometown sport team. So continue to do that and continue to check it out and continue to back stuff like this. So but without further ado, let's crack into this volatile roller coaster of a championship series between the Perth Wildcats and Sydney Kings. So to help us, I've broken this podcast into seven parts for us, just to help break down this series and all the events that took place in between. So we're going to go through it in that order, and it's going to be a good refresher for you guys for what actually went <laughs> went on in the series, because look, it feels like ages ago, all this news and stuff. By the time this comes out, I guess the, the state of affairs about what's going on is just going to be growing as well. So look, we've got to continue to crack on. A lot's happened in the world since this series began, so we're going to go through this pod. We're going to do some refreshers. we got seven parts, so let's get excited. Let's roll into this. Let's go, Cool Cats. Game one. All right, part one, game one. Sydney Kings versus Perth Wildcats at Kudos Bank Arena. It was a time before the media had gotten a stronghold in the coronavirus headlines. It was a time in which fans congregated in arenas to chant and shout support to their teams. That was less than two weeks ago. The 8th of March was when this Game 1 was played. The chaos that has ensued post the outbreak has just been unbelievable. In today's day and world, all organisations are becoming flexible to make these exceptions to their daily operating procedures and it's just chaotic. But no, look, for one game review, we won't live in the present for one moment. Let's go back to the night which brought a lot of joy, a night of high quality basketball, a night of high emotions, a night where the entire NBL community were watching with nothing else in mind. The game itself was a complete arm wrestle with both teams having their moments of impressive basketball, showing why both teams were there in this matchup to begin with. Lucky for the Red Army, the Perth Wildcats won 88-86 in front of 11,647 people in Sydney over the Kings. Crazy to say. But Perth generated 16 turnovers, 11 of those steals, 5 of those blocks. Sydney generating only 6 turnovers, 4 blocks and 2 steals. So Perth winning the turnover differential plus 10, and obviously this having a huge impact on the outcome of the game. We have seen the importance of turnovers all throughout our analysis of this NBL 20 season, so there's no surprise here. Perth win the turnovers, Perth win the game. 
But our Perth Wildcats overcame a five-point deficit in the fourth quarter, outscoring Sydney 20-13 to to beat them by two points. Bryce had 32 points on 50% shooting, adding six boards, four assists, and a steal. Actually, you can make that two steals because he also stole the W in New South Wales. For the Kings, Andrew Bogut had an impressive 18 on 72% shooting from the floor. 11 rebounds, five of those being offensive. This was a foreshadowing of what we were going to expect from Andrew Bogut throughout the series. I'm not his biggest fan, but he came out to play against the Cats, and I did respect that. In the last quarter, NBL 20 MVP Bryce Cotton dropped 10 of the Wildcats' 20 points to help them win the game. This was also helped by Damo's big late three from the corner. And when Gleason was questioned about this in the press conference, about how comfortable he was with Damo, who did struggle all year from beyond the three-point arc, shooting only 30% from three for the year, taking such an important shot from the corner, he responded by saying, If you actually look at the stats, you'll find that Damo was fairly reasonable from the corner. Who am I to question Trevor? But to give you guys some understanding about these comments, I went and did my research. Damos took 26 three-point field goal attempts from the corner this year. He made 12 of them to give him a three-point field goal percentage from the corner of 46%, which is actually 8% better than the league average from the corner. So just as always, Trevor on top of it as we expect he would be, drawing up appropriate plays for the players to give them the highest chance to succeed. But very, very, very late in the game, Tariko goes to the line with the Cats up two. However, he fails to ice the game and misses both the free throws. Casper Ware gets a chance of three to win it for Sydney. Misses. I know you all know this, but Casper Ware was missing, and that was a common theme throughout this entire series. Casper Ware had five points on 10 from zero shooting from three-point land. The all-NBL second-teamer had just such a horrible postseason. Add five turnovers to that stat line, and it's not so pretty. So a special mention to special Nick Kay, who had 14 points on 71% shooting, two of three from three, six rebounds, three assists, two steals, three blocks to fill it up for the Wildcats in the W. Miles Plumley with 10 points, five of five shooting on 100%, seven rebounds to help out the team offensively. But Bogut was proving to be a bit of trouble for the Cats big men. But the Cats took the big W and they took the series lead 1-0. And this was giving ourselves the best chance to take home the title. I remember seeing on the TV there was a stat up, it was like 21 or 22 times out of 23 that a team has won game one, they actually end up winning the series itself, so we sat in really good position heading back to Perth. So let's crack on to part two. range of options to complete the series ahead of the original scheduled dates. This included reducing the grand final series to a best of three game series or playing game four tomorrow instead of this Friday. Charter flights were also discussed. It is our understanding that Sydney Kings turned down these options. So it hit. And it was the 12th of March in Australia when the NBA decided to cancel all games as Rudy Gobert tested positive to COVID-19 or the coronavirus. That video with him touching all the microphones made him look like a Bond supervillain carefully planning to ruin sports for everyone touching all those microphones but nah look look not going to delve too heavily into the entire coronavirus situation i just everyone out there i hope you're uh, you're keeping clean and you're conducting best practice to keep safe social distancing being the buzzword and and whatnot so but anyway the big impact of rudy gobert contracting the virus was that it brought a halt one of the biggest machines in the united states which was the nba from here the rest of the sporting world followed suit And look, I know the NBA are being heralded as being proactive in regards to this entire thing and acting in due course, but in reality, if one of their players didn't get the virus, I'm not sure they would have acted. The Fat Cat NBA owners would have fought to keep games rolling on and revenue rolling in, no doubt. Look, I'm on a bit of a tangent, but the NBA cancelling games was the first huge domino that fell in, in, I guess, my world and the sporting world. 
From here, other sports followed and the pandemic came to a centre stage. The NBL had a call to make on the up-and-coming NBL Game 2 and the NBL Championship Series. They made the call to lock out spectators very late, and I'm glad that they did. It appears to be a uniform ruling around the world that they're doing so, and I'm glad the NBL took the necessary precautions in the, in the limited timeframes that they're actually posed with. I myself was intending to head to the game with a, a mate from work, and we're going to introduce his partner to the NBL in the best possible way, live NBL finals action in the jungle. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your thoughts on everything happening, we were locked out and the, uh, there was a bit of a somber mood in Perth. So the Red Army was locked out, but we were all watching. I made my way down to the Inglewood Hotel, so shout out Inglewood, to watch the cats on the big screen. What transpired before me was just odd. So let's move on to part three and here it is. Game two. Okay, so part three of this NBL sequence is actually game two. So I kind of feel like I'm referencing George Orwell's 1984 in an essay, but anyway. Part three, game two. And as I said, I was at the Inglewood. Shout out Inglewood. I collected my rounds of drinks. I calmed my nerves and I sat in front of this big screen ready for game two. The pub atmosphere was drowning out the awkwardness of the lack of crowd, but visibly the players' approach to the contest seemed understandably somewhat off. But as we all know, at the end of the day, Sydney did walk away with a W in RAC Arena. I'm not sure I can call it the jungle without the Red Army being there and rocking it out. But yet they took the W 97-85 over the Cats. I went back and watched this game the next day at home to take some notes for you guys. And after I got my head around our performance and I was ready to watch it again, I sat down in front of the telly and, and chucked it on. And it was evident that the first move in the chess match was to send Andrew Bogut out to attack very often and early. And the first move by Will Weaver turned out to be a complete winner. Bogut had this particular play on Plumlee where he was in the low block, drops his shoulder left, right, feeling the body and then getting an easy bucket on Plumlee. Anyway, at 17 to 9 down, Gleason called a quick timeout, Bogut already having 7 points and 3 boards in 6 minutes, showing you his early dominance. Bryce got it going, getting up with some big boards to help out the bigs with Bogut and Cooks. Majok Majok stemmed the flow of scoring in the paint and the Cats closed the gap to 4 points. The second quarter started the same way and I couldn't help but notice the Wildcats' lack of intensity on our defense. Bogut scored immediately, and it was evident in the break we had done nothing to counter his play. In this quarter, there was this big charge on Jesse Wagstaff. Look, I don't want to be the it's-the-referee's-fault guy, but an empty stadium had the refs doing some really odd things. There were quite a few calls for each team that evidently were missed, particularly on the offensive side. But I digress. The Cats ended the half down 61-67. to The third quarter proved to be more fruitful for our Cats, with the boys finding a bit of momentum. Bryce Cotton's and one late in the quarter, helping the Cats close the gap, only down three, 73-76, three-quarter time. And something I always find interesting is who's on the court for each team to start the last quarter. Such an important time in the game where a swing could easily decide the outcome of the quarter and therefore the game, and these guys on the court really have a lot of responsibility and are trusted in these big-time situations. So for the Cats, it was Damian Martin, Clint Steindl, Tariko White, Jesse Wagstaff, and Majok Majok, interesting. And for the Kings, it was Casper Ware, Kevin Lish, Brad Newley, Ja'Shawn Tate, and Andrew Bogut. So more of that starting five look for the Sydney Kings there. So the next sequence goes as follows. Sydney, two points. Tariko White, two. Brad Newley, three. Damian Martin 3, Kevin Lish 2, Ja'Shawn Tate 2, and then the Wildcats calling a timeout with 6.41 left in the final quarter. So that was the Kings actually outscoring the Cats 9-5, and Gleason's gamble with the counterplay lineup didn't quite pay off. The Cats themselves went on to be outplayed by the Kings, 
particularly by Kevin Lish. Lish with a nifty cross move with about two minutes left to create the separation at the top of the key and knock down a big game icing three-pointer. The Kings win game two, 94-81, and left the Red Army, including myself, feeling very, very flat. The no crowd factor was adversity, and in adversity, Sydney stood tall in game two. I must say I did wonder if we're going to have the teams travel back due to the current state of affairs, but they did, and we were on to game three on the Sunday. So let's go get it. On to the next part. Game three. So as I just said in part three, I did have thoughts that potentially the Cats and the Kings weren't going to travel back to Sydney. I also did have thoughts that the series could get cut to three games and we were going to experience this being the decider game three. But nothing was announced before the game. Kevin. Kevin. But nothing was announced before the game of any three-game series, and this did not fill me with a great deal of confidence about the series finishing due to the growing concerns about COVID-19. But we were underway, and nonetheless, let's kick on to it. So Game 3 started with the Wildcats looking much, much more prepared than they were in Game 2. Once they had experienced the crowdless arena, they had figured it all out, and then in true Wildcat fashion, they were on top of their game early. Perth came out scoring and looking to push the pace, the Cats jumping out to a 10-point lead halfway through the first quarter, before the lead getting cut back to 5. The Cats answering Sydney's first flurry of the day by pushing the lead back out to 11, leading at the end of the quarter, 29-18. to To start the second quarter, Bryce came out aggressive again, scoring 8 of the Wildcats' first 10 points. Brad Newley coming to life and clawing back the difference to within 9 points at the end of the half, Newley collecting 16 of Sydney's 28 points in this quarter. Brad Newley turning back the clock, and I think at one point he had about 9 points straight there, which was electric to watch. You could see he was feeling himself, and um, it, was, it was fun to see. So off the back of Brad Newley's second quarter performance, the Sydney Kings came out the blocks hot to start the second half, scoring 7 points unanswered, before BC said enough was enough, and cooked the Kings' defense with a pretty floater from the baseline. From here, the game was well and truly back on. The teams traded buckets before Kevin Lish made back-to-back three-point jump shots to tie the game in the third quarter at 63-63 with 5 minutes 50 left in the quarter. Luckily, Nick Case stood up and broke the deadlock with another big three in the finals. The three stopped the bleeding and Bryce came in to stretch the lead. From when Lish tied the game at 63-63 with 5.50 left in the quarter, the Kings only scored seven more points. And the Wildcats, on the other hand, had Bryce Cotton scoring all but two of the remaining 11 points to finish the quarter. This helped stretch the lead back out to 84-70, to with the Cats looking very likely to steal another game in Sydney. The final quarter saw scoring, with each team scoring really easily. This is not what Sydney needed. Sydney managed to cut the lead to 5 points with just under 6 minutes left in the final quarter, but that's the extent of life they showed. The final buckets for the Wildcats' amazing NBL 20 season went like this, so just reminisce on this, Cool Cats. Nick K 3-pointer, Bryce Cotton floater, Nick K 3-pointer, Tariko White layup, Tariko White two free throws, Bryce Cotton free throw, Nick K free throw, Nick K two free throws, the bucket getter Wagstar free throw, and then Clint Lint Chocolate Steindl with a hook shot. Season over, but we didn't know it at the time. For me, there were two standout players from this game, and they were Bryce Cotton, 31 points, 47% shooting, seven boards, two of those offensive, seven assists, and only one turnover. And the second dude was Nick K with 30 points on 60% shooting, 7 of 9 from 3-point land, 12 boards, 4 of those being offensive, 4 assists, and only 2 turnovers. 
So that's incredible by those two players. It shows you why they are NBL 21st teamers. Just incredible seasons by the two hopeful uh, boomers. I know Bryce Cotton is uh, is lining up. Oh, actually, probably not. They're all out on the uh, super yacht I saw celebrating. That looks like a lot of fun. So I hope they're enjoying themselves. But one final little special mention to Lint Chocolate Standle for finishing the huge game three with 13 points, 71% shooting, three of four from three-point land, one rebound, two assists, and a steal in 20 minutes of play. So you can't ask for much more than that from Lint Chocolate Standle. 20 minutes of play, a great pack stat line. And game three was over, and we were looking on to game four. Or so we thought. Wait a minute. Fans, which probably for you guys as a Red Army, it's the most powerful part of your game, isn't it? The crowd? Yeah, we're, the, the Red Army have been brilliant, so I was expecting them to be brilliant on Friday night. So part five is a look into what was the effect, the good, the bad of having no crowds. And the reason I want, Kevin, and the reason I want to do this because the whole landscape of sports at the moment due to this coronavirus has changed and it's led to these different type of settings and scenarios where we have sports with no crowds. And I thought it'd be an interesting thing to kind of look at. So I have three things here which are good and three things here which are bad about having no crowds. And I'd love to know what you guys think. So please hit me back on, on Instagram. You can hit me up at the Cool Cats Corner. So that's C-O-O-L-C-A-T-S-C-O-R-N-E-R. Yeah, cop that. And, or you can get me at Twitter as well at Chocky Sugo. So that's at C-H-O-C-C-Y-S-U-G-O. But definitely, definitely hit me up with what your thoughts were about having no crowds. And I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. And we can get a bit of discussion happening about that because God knows how long we're going to be seeing that for. And we're seeing it in the AFL as well. I guess... With basketball, it's not as common you'd be seeing, I guess, no crowd. So especially in a place like ROC Arena, which is so large, th that feeling of stepping out onto the court for players, I assume, would just be crazy. That crowd element is so huge in sports. And to see how players react and to see the type of basketball that we saw, I thought was, was really cool. But look, we're going to break it down now. So I'm going to give you one of each. Here we go. So we'll start with the bad. And as I kind of touched on earlier, guys, I thought the officiating had been the thing most affected by the lack of crowds. These other dudes on the courts, they're professional ballers who have played in front of big crowds their entire lives. The officials wouldn't have had the unique experiences of officiating of such a high caliber of basketball whilst lacking this crowd or this playoff type atmosphere. So, so just think about that for a second, guys. So these high caliber basketballers have played in front of huge crowds. They've played in the gyms. They've played everywhere. They've played in every single situation and setting. They're prepared to go at any time. The viciousness of what is basketball free agents, we made to play your best no matter the scenario these guys are used to it. Put their, it's like kind of like they're putting their suit on, they're going to work, and that's easy for them. The officiating, though, that's such a unique experience because they're always officiating these high-caliber-type basketballers in front of these huge crowds. And so you take the crowd out of it. That's such a huge aspect for the officials not to kind of really react. So these guys are going to be looking for fouls, all eyes on the officials. There's no form of bias. The magnifying glasses on them. And I thought it's very understandable that they were off. And as I said, it was a rough combination of variables which make it difficult for anything or anyone to perform their job at a, at a good caliber. So one thing that I actually thought was really good about game two and three with the lack of crowds was we could hear the chat between the players. And I particularly liked when Bryce Cotton was cooking and broke down the lane. Deshaun Tate came over, bodied him on the way to the hoop, and then they were exchanging some pleasantries under the rim. And you could hear all that type of chat going on. It was really cool to hear. The energy on the court also transferred through the screen into the couch and got me up and up into the game definitely more so. So 
look, listening to that and hearing all of that was awesome. Kev, relax, buddy. But it was such a kind of unique experience to hear the sounds of the game to that level. Yeah, just just sitting at home and which which I thought was awesome. So the second thing that I thought was bad about not having any crowds was I guess the kind of lack of awareness of the guys who organize the arenas and and for the Wildcats all the chairs in the jungle were blue. So if they could get some sort of red sheeting that could have gone over the top to at least kind of put the effect that there's the red army there or make it more natural for Perth to play in that arena because whenever they're playing in that arena they're looking around it's red everywhere. So I thought they could have done a bit of a better job there. But to be fair, sure on the other foot Sydney didn't do much much better. Their chairs were, I believe, I think they were red. Yeah, they were. So it had that bit of a feeling in Kudos Bank Arena. And that could have been, you know, a very, very tiny factor as to why no one won their home games but and, and, and stole the away games. But look, the next thing that I thought was really good about the no crowds was fellow cat chatter, Neil Barnard. And he was amping up the family members and the friends of the players in, in RAC in game two. And his energy was unreal. Seeing him doing his crazy arm claps and throwing his arms up and about, bringing the level of the crowd just up a level and bringing them into the action of the game. And, and seeing him in the background kind of did bring that RAC jungle touch to to the arena itself so that definitely came through the screen so thanks very much there Neil my third thing which I thought was one of the bads or not really a bad but I thought was quite humorous was that there was no handshakes after the game look I understand that it's important practice not handshaking and we should all keep it front of mind at the moment but I think it's funny that the players afterwards you see them like distance apart thumbs up to each other after they've just banged bodies with each other for literally 40 minutes straight sweaty ass play but whatever that was I thought that was quite humorous but my last thing and the last of the good with no crowds was I thought we got the best of Bryce Cotton and we saw just how locked into basketball he is crowds no crowds he was cooking the kings for 30 plus points he was doing it all he was bouncing up for big boards he was doing everything and it just showed me why he is the complete player why he is the NBL 20 MVP and why he is the best in the league so let's move on to part six and in part six you may or may not hear Bryce's name pop up but let's see how we go ladies and gentlemen the Larry Finkstock medalist and MVP Okay, guys, part six of this Cool Cats Corner NBL Championship Final Series pod. And in part six today is I want to run through this little, I guess, kind of question that I had running before the MVP was announced, the grand final MVP, that is. And it was this little conversation and exercise I was doing with some friends and some fellow Cool Cats. And I think it has enough merit to bring you guys over the airwaves. So what I want to do is I want to provide you two players average stat lines from the three games played in the NBL 20 Championship Series. So that's game one, two, and three between the Cats and the Kings. And I'll break this down for you as player A and player B. No prizes for guessing who each player is um, because it's not too tricky, but I think it's interesting when you look at it this way. So I'm going to read you player A first, the average stat line. So 34.7 minutes played per game, 30 points per game on these shooting percentages, 47% from the field on 59 shots, 43% from three-point land. That is completing nine three-pointers, 96% from the free throw line, knocking in 25 of his 26 in the series. 6 rebounds per game, 4.7 assists per game, 2.3 turnovers, 0.7 steals, 0 blocks, all whilst being fouled 8.3 times a game. So we've got player B. So he had 34.2 minutes per game. He averaged 20.3 points per game on these shooting percentages. 57% from the field on 37 shots. So the first player, player A, 59 shots. 
but he had 59% shooting from three-point land, completing 10 of his 17 three-point shots. So player A had nine three-point shots. 82% 82% from the free throw line, 8.3 rebounds per game, 2.7 assists per game, 2.3 turnovers, so same as player A, 1.3 steals per game and 1.3 blocks per game, all whilst being fouled 3.7 times per contest, which was the second most behind player A, who was fouled 8.3 times. So as a lot of you guys would have already known by now, the two players are Bryce Cotton and Nick Kay. Bryce Cotton being player A, after having 31, 27 and 32 point grand final games, You would think that Bryce Cotton was a lock for the grand final MVP, and as we've seen, he was awarded that. And look, guys, it was absolutely no surprise to me that Bryce Cotton won it, and I'm so happy that he did. The guy's an absolute star. Nothing nothing but respect and love for the man. But I just wanted to run through the Nick case, you know? So give give a case to Nick K and just to see how good he was. When I was running through player B's or Nick K's stats, you would have noticed a few things. Nick K had made more three-point buckets over the series than Bryce Cotton, even though he had four less three-point attempts than the import. Or you may have noticed the fact that Nick K averaged 1.3 blocks and 1.3 steals over the series compared to Bryce Cotton's 0.7, and Cotton himself leading the league in steals over the season. So 1.3 blocks, 1.3 steals, Nick K was putting it on on the defensive end. And I'm not trying to discount Bryce Cotton's game here. Rather, I'm trying to draw your attention to just how good Nick was this series. They both played very similar minutes. And good thing too, as they were both clearly the best two players in the series amongst both teams. Nick Kay, however, took 22 less shots than Cotton over the series, yet only made seven less buckets. And as I already said, actually making one more three-pointer than the league's leading scorer. That is unbelievable productivity, and it's really impressive from Nick. Not only this, but Nick Kay had some of the biggest moments in the playoff series, knocking down shot after shot when the Wildcats really did need it the most. I honestly wouldn't be able to choose between Kay, Cotton, and Steindl with the Wildcats three points down, last shot on the line. Like, they are all just so damn good, and Nick Kay is showing how good he is from beyond the arc this final series. What I will say is when you're looking at the statistics, I couldn't help but notice one big stat which jumped out at me, and I've already repeated it a few times now, and that is the stat of fouls received, otherwise known as whenever a player commits a foul on you throughout the game. Now, the reason you you receive fouls in basketball is because you're a bloody good player and people are trying to play some very tight D on you. The players, the opposition players are trying to set the tone. They're trying to let you know that they're going to be a tough cover the entire game. And they're trying to bang you around and try and knock you off your game themselves. So I don't know if you guys can remember how many fouls like player A, which was Bryce Cotton, received. But I'll give you a refresher. It was 8.3 fouls per game received on him. So 8.3 times. Bryce Cotton is fouled to either halt his scoring... Or it's an attempt to intimidate the six-foot guard on the way to the ring, or the opposition defender becomes overzealous and just fouls him because they can't keep up with Bryce. Regardless, the reason this 8.3 fouls per game stands out to me, because out of all the other players in this series, the player who received the next highest foul count committed was Nick Kay, as I said, with 3.7. 3.7 to 8.3. I hope that demonstrates to you just how much attention Bryce Cotton receives on the offensive end every single game. He received almost five more fouls on him each game than the next highest player. It even got to the point where Bryce told the referee that they got to stop playing him after the whistle when Jay Sean Tate put a little extra mustard on his foul while Bryce was trying to shake a double, penetrate the lane and get to the hole. So they put all this extra time and work into Bryce, they foul him often, they double team him every other possession, but the downside to being this aggressive and fouling is that you send an insanely good free throw shooter to the line. Bryce Cotton only missed one of his 26 free throws in the series. This helped him build to that 30 point per game average every single game. When Bryce is getting to the line over eight times a game for free throws, you know he's going to hurt you in the box score. So in conclusion, I thought both players were extremely effective in their own ways. I thought Nick K shot the ball amazingly well, better than anyone else in this series. I thought Nick was the best two-way player in the series, outplaying fellow NBL 21st teamer Deshaun Tate in the process. 
I thought Nick K showed Australia that he's the best Australian currently playing in the NBL. However, I thought Bryce Cotton showed the league once again why he is the MVP of NBL 20. I thought that Sydney threw everything at him and the series was determined by whether Bryce could outplay Will Weaver's defensive formations. But all the thinking is done now, and I know it's fair to say that I am so happy to see our Bryce Cotton win another Grand Finals MVP. That means that since arriving in 2017, Bryce Cotton now has the following NBL resume. Three-time NBL champion, two-time NBL MVP, two-time NBL Finals MVP, three-time All-NBL First Team nominations, and a three-time scoring champion in the NBL. So congratulations to Nick and Bryce on unbelievable seasons. But as far as the NBL Finals MVP arguments should go, it's over. Stop. And that brings us to part seven, and it was the championship announcement. And that was number 10 for the Cats and BC Finals MVP. So on the 19th of March, 2020, at 12 p.m. Australian Western Standard Times, the owner of the NBL, Larry Kesselman, and league commissioner, Jeremy Loliga, took to the microphone to announce that the Perth Wildcats were to be named the NBL 20 champions, making this their record-breaking 10th NBL title and the fourth in the last five years. They went back-to-back to to defend the title, and I, for one, could not be more excited. In the 24-hour news cycle that is the coronavirus state of chaos, this news was awesome to get, and it really got the Red Army and the state of WA up and about. As already mentioned, Bryce Cotton was named the NBL 20 Finals MVP, adding another accolade to his already stacked NBL trophy cabinet. Since joining the NBL halfway through the 2017 season, Bryce has made a huge, huge impact on this league, getting his name thrown in there with the greatest imports the league has ever seen being heralded along with the greats such as Leroy Loggins and Ricky Grace. With three NBL titles, two NBL MVPs and two NBL Finals MVPs, you can understand why. What an incredible year it's been to watch Bryce Ice Cotton in action. We've all been lucky enough to see Incredible, and I for one can't wait for what his future holds and what's in store for us. As for the rest of the team, the Wildcats social media team put together a great graphic which I reposted on the Cool Cats Corner Instagram story, and this graphic had the number of rings each of our cats now had. A huge congratulations to first-time NBL champions, Nick, Taylor, Luke, CR, and frequent flyer Miles Plumley. You came to the Cats, you got a title, and I can't wait to see what you young DP dudes do in the future. You know what it tastes to have one now. Let's go get some more. Drum roll that into our two-time winners in Wani, Major, Clint, Mitch, Tariko, and now two-time NBL first-teamer, Nicholas K. BC has three. Reese Vague with a hard-earned four. Love my boy, the Vanilla Gorilla, Reese Vague. What a star. And a huge, 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 huge congratulations to the Perth Wildcats stalwarts, Jesse Wagstaff and Damian Martin, who have picked up their championship number six, tying the record with CJ Bruton and David Stiff. And we await news on Damo's NBL future with the Wildcats great going to make a call on whether his long and amazing road in the NBL has come to an end. But we got to thank Sydney as well. And it was a series which is virus truly did steal from us. Two of the best teams in this league were really destined to go to five, I feel. Sydney was seeking independent advice regarding the coronavirus concerns, 
and they were told to withdraw from the series. And fair call to them. They have the staff and they have a team from all different parts of the world and they need to go home to their families. All good. I understand that and that's all great. But leave it there, Paul. Paul Smith has had such a horrible year with his PR and then in reality, he's just a salty dude who's never going to beat the Wildcats. Look, our Wildcats, we worked with the NBL and the Kings to explore all the options to get the games played. This included shortening the series to three games and playing the decider in Sydney. This included staying in Sydney to play the remainder of the games to limit air travel. This included bringing games forward so the time to contract the virus was minimised. But no, none of these worked with Paul Smith and his Kings. And this was no, none, nothing, not one bit of pressure from the NBL. The Sydney Kings withdrew. I'm glad, and I'm glad they did the socially responsible thing. Like, that's fantastic. But in regards to the 10th title, this doesn't even have to be an asterisk to me. We beat you guys five out of seven times this season. We were up 2-1 in the finals, and we're exploring avenues with the Kings and the Kings bailed. So if anyone wants to put an asterisk next to this record-breaking 10th title, we can asterisk your life for all I care. So at me, I'm not too, not too phased. It was definitely interesting to watch this thing unfold and to see where everyone's opinions were. I know there was a few cat chatters who infiltrated their way into the Sydney, the Sydney chat, which was quite good to see on social media, and I, I enjoy seeing their, their very salty responses. And look, one of those excuses is, look, there's this one out there. But Mason, they were the record-setting team who led the NBL from week 1 to week 20. They should be awarded the NBL 20 title. Okay. Ask uh, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green how their record-breaking 73-9 and 2015-2016 Golden State Warriors win in the playoffs. Here's the tip. They didn't win. Playoffs are a different animal. Anything else anyone says is fake news. We have fulfilled the prophecy of winning the title in 1990, 2000, 2010, and now 2020 NBL champions. This team truly never lets us down and never ceases to amaze us. We are too lucky to have them. That's 10 rings for the Cool Cats. That's 10 rings for the City of Perth. Thank you very much, Kings. That was the Grand Final Series recap, and thank you very much for listening. Before we do take off from this little podcast, though, so I want to say a massive thanks once again to the Stinking for providing those little stings that you guys have been hearing throughout this entire Grand Final recap. He is on the Unfiltered Podcast. He's also got Reverb coming at you. It's on the Unfiltered Podcast Network as well. So we'll shout him out. So the pod is on Spotify at Unfiltered Official, just exactly how it sounds. You can hit up Thomas the Stinking at Roboldo, R-O-B-B-O-L-D-O 360 on Twitter. You can hit up the pod on Twitter at Unfiltered PNC5. And you guys can, can jump on that and see what we got going on there. But definitely check that out. Definitely a massive, massive thank you for all of you for listening in. It's been so much fun bringing it to you this season. We're going to have a lot of stuff for the, uh, for the off season. Thank you so much for waiting for this pod. I know you guys have been highly anticipated to drop. Um, no, I joke, but from myself, from Grace, from uh, Kevin or, or Kenny Shits, if you want to check him out on Instagram, um, it's a massive thank you for winding up this NBL season and this NBL 20 podcast that we've been doing here. We're going to have some stuff, like I said, in the off season. But until then, everyone stay safe. Everyone look after yourself. And hopefully we get some sport back soon. So from me here, it's much love. Thanks for chilling all year.